thank you again for joining this Word of Truth podcast. Uh, the recording of our Sunday morning message will commence here in just a moment. But I first want to apologize for the sound quality. The main microphone did not work as expected. And I pray this message on sinning willfully from Hebrews chapter 10 will be a blessing to you. And if you could stand for the reading of God's Word, we're going to read Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. To 27. Hebrews 10, verse 26 to 27. God's word says, For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. Lord, we thank you for this morning, Lord. We thank you for our church. We thank you for many blessings you've showered upon our church, Lord. We thank you for all those that are here this morning. Lord, we thank you for uh, the remembrance of Easter coming up, Lord. We thank you for everything you're, you're doing for us, how you're working in our lives, working in our church, Lord. I want to praise you and, and thank you for that, Lord. Please be with our, our message this morning, Lord. Please give me your words to say. Please help me that conduit, Lord. Please flow that message through me. There are things you want me to add. Please help me add those things, Lord. There are things you want me to leave out. Please help my eyes not see that in my, in my notes this morning, Lord. This please be in all parts of this message. It'll be all done to your honor and your glory. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. May be seated. The title of our message this morning is For If We Sin Willfully. You see that from the first part of verse 26. For if we sin willfully. Uh, this goes back, uh, this thought goes back to what we were talking about in Hebrews chapter 6. It also goes back to Matthew chapter 13. And that seed that springs up immediately flourishes, but then as soon as the adversity comes, it falls away. And we know that represents a false profession. Uh, those, pe those people willfully turn their back and, and say, Jesus is just not enough. Uh, this is a key point to make at the onset of this message. Notice it says, if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of truth. It does not say possess the knowledge of truth. It does not say possess eternal life does not say get saved or after genuinely trusting Christ as one Savior. These are professors of faith that are mine here. These are those people that come up to the very precipice of salvation and then reject the truth of the gospel and choose to remain lost. Uh, this is also, uh, is, they have received the knowledge of truth. They have rejected that witness of the Holy Spirit in their heart and in their spirit. And eventually they have rejected that last offer of salvation and that last offer of eternal salvation and so doing they uh, sealed their fate for that eternity in hell and that's just a sad thought right there they made that final rejection and after that there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation now if you'll real notice i don't know if you notice realize but verses 26 to 31 we're not covering that this morning, but a very famous message was preached on verses 26 to 31 by Jonathan Edwards called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And uh, we're just taking the first two verses here, and we're taking 26 and 27. And then when we get back after our Easter series, we'll look at 26 to 31 as a whole. But he preached a very uh, intense sermon on that message, uh, but he was concerned for men's souls. He was passionate. Uh, uh, he had a passionate love for God, a passionate love for his flock, a passionate love for men's souls. And that was a catalyst of his message, sinners in the hands 
of an angry God. He was less concerned with God's wrath than he was with God's grace. He wanted all his flock to be saved. And there's a story behind this message. We won't get into it this morning, but he wanted all his flock to be saved because he knew a lot of his flock was not saved. And one author put it this way, Jonathan Edwards gave his people a whiff of the sulfurs of hell that they might deeply inhale the fragrance of grace. Well, his intense concern for his people back then mirrors the writer of Hebrews' concern for these Hebrew Christians. The stakes were identical. Heaven or hell. Heaven or hell. Uh, so our warnings here. Now, if you have children, this, is, this reminds me of uh, this, the writer of Hebrews uh, giving these warnings out here. You, you see danger, you want to warn people that it's coming. This reminds me of, uh, of warning children. Uh, like we have little children, like, I don't think I have to warn ours so much this way anymore. But a few years ago, I would have said something like this. If we're by a busy highway, I said, don't you know what happens to little kids? And they run onto the highway and get struck by a truck. You know, something could happen. I was being a little, I would be a little stern with them. They may kind of scare them so they don't go out to the deadly street. So they don't die. So I will save them, hopefully save them from destruction, save them from death, or save them from deliberately and willfully disobeying daddy, and I'm going to go do my own thing and run out in the middle of the road. It's out of love. It's out of concern to save them from that, to save them from that deliberate sin that would lead to their destruction. So what is willful or deliberate sin? Let's look at verse 26 again. For if we sin willfully after that, we have received the knowledge of the truth. There remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. This passage of Scripture deals with those who have heard the gospel, have come face to face with the claims of Christ, have been associated to some extent with his church, but have willfully turned their back on the truth and walked away. Uh, these were people whose hearts had been warmed toward the gospel of Christ, who had made a, a superficial commitment to faith in him and had identified themselves visibly with the true church. But their enthusiasm was cooling off. Now, the cost of being a Christian was becoming too high, and they were getting over the gospel, you could say. So before we dig into this terrifying passage, really, we need to understand the main issue the writer is addressing, and that is the issue of sinning willfully. Uh, just saying those words make me nervous, uh, though I think we could agree we've all done that. We've all been guilty of sinning willfully from time to time in our life. So let's first look in the mirror a bit and see how this relates to Christians, so those that are born again, how sinning willfully relates to us. So let's look at Christians sinning willfully. Willful describes that which is done intentionally or deliberately. It's doing what one wants to do even when he knows or she knows it's wrong to do. It refers to a mental process when we might have like a uh, take some thought or some action. We're weighing the options. I know I should do this. I know this is the right thing to do, but I really want to do that. You know, the, the, you kind of make this simple. You, you're saying, I know eating a salad would be the right thing to do, but man, that fried chicken sure does look good. And then you can kind of see, you kind of have that, that, that conversation in your mind. 
you know, uh, but this higher stakes than just that we're talking about here. Spiritually speaking, it would describe a, that conversation. Uh, you're thinking it over, and then you decide to willfully and deliberately do what you know is wrong. Well, Romans 13, 14 says, But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. Paul commends us there in Romans 13, 14 against that kind of foolishness. Like, man, I really want to do that, but I know that's wrong. I should be doing this. And you kind of have that conversation in your mind, and then you start making provision for it. Oh, it's not that bad, or, or no one will see me, no one will ever know. And then you decide to do what you know is wrong. You just deliberately, willfully sin. And it's sad to say, I know we all do that, you know, and we're all guilty of that. Uh, but it, it makes me nervous even contemplating that topic. So Paul tells us to make not provision or stop making provision, stop planning to sin willfully. So when we make that deliberate decision to look into, to, to browse, to stand over, to take a quick glance at that deceptive, destructive sin, we're walking into the snare of our fallen flesh, and we almost certainly then will commit that sin after we've thought about it, deliberated about it, considered it, we most certainly will then act on that sin and commit that sin, that deliberate, willful sin. But Paul says, make not provision. Don't have that conversation in your mind. You know that's wrong, you know that's right. End it. Don't have that conversation. Make not provision in your mind for that, or provision in your flesh for that. Now James 1, 13-16, which we actually went over just a few weeks ago, explains that sequential process that, that almost invariably follows when we begin to think on, to to entertain, to contemplate, to allow ourselves to dwell or, or begin to deliberate over whether to sin or not to sin, or, or we in our minds might think, I just want to do that. It's not too bad. It's not so bad. No one ever know. Well, James 1, 13 and 16 says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. So we are all guilty, unfortunately, of sinning deliberately. All Christians have done this at some point in time. All of us are guilty of deliberate or willful sin. In the sense that there have been many times that we know the truth of God's word regarding what would constitute the, the righteous, godly behavior, and yet we stubbornly walk down a path of temptation. We make provision for it, we consider it, and then we act on it deliberately. While this kind of sin for believers should not be taken lightly, it's critical to understand that's not what our writer Hebrews is talking about in this passage. Um, I wanted to apply it to us. I want us to look in the mirror. So that's not really what our, our writer Hebrews is talking about. The context is not a person who is a believer and then one day ceases to be a believer or loses their salvation. So we cannot lose our salvation if we willfully or deliberately sin. John 10, 27, 29. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. They follow me and I give unto them eternal life. And they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them to me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. So we cannot lose our salvation if we sin deliberately. If we are truly saved, we, can, we know we cannot lose our salvation. But 
We should not abuse the grace of God either. We should not abuse God's grace either. Just because God's infinite mercy does not strike us down when we commit that deliberate, willful sin as Christians, that does not give us the right to abuse God's grace. God's wonderful grace and mercy should never be treated as an invitation to live sinfully or as a license to sin. God's grace, I'm saved. I know that's wrong. I know I shouldn't be doing that. I know I should be doing that, but I'm saved. We should not abuse the grace of God. It's a horrible thing. Horrible thing. Romans 6 14 says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. We are no longer under law, but we are under grace. But grace is not that license to sin. We are not at liberty to sin willfully or deliberately. Uh, to the contrary, we have the power to enable us to fight against the sin of temptation, or against the temptation to deliberately sin. We have, we have the power to fight against that. We should be doing that less since we are saved. Uh, but we will fail. We will fall. We will, on occasion, do that deliberate sin. We, we will do it. Um, but that should never be the rule in our life as a Christian. It should never be the rule in our life and walk as a Christian. Before we were saved, we chased after sin. That sin, we're chasing after it. But now that we are saved, sin's kind of chasing after us. Sin doesn't want us to leave. Sin wants to keep up. Sin wants to chase after us. If willful sinning is in an individual's lifestyle, and that individual needs to be very honest with themselves and ask, is my Christian profession really a possession of Christ? Uh, am I really a possessor of eternal life? Am I really a possessor of eternal salvation? Or am I merely a professor? If that willful sinning is, is the individual's lifestyle. So now let's look at an illustration of making provision for sin. I kind of illustrated this earlier, but I got, I've got another illustration. Say there is someone who you know that your conscience and the Spirit is leading you to forgive, unless that root of bitterness begins to spring up and you begin. Uh, so you begin, okay, I know I'm supposed to forgive them. So you know what? I'm going to bury the hatchet. I'm just going to bury the hatchet. I'm going to forgive them. But making provision for sin would be when you bury the hatchet, you leave the handle sticking out. But you make provision for sin. And when you bury the hatchet, you draw yourself a map to where you buried the hatchet. So that's making provision for sin. Whereas if we're really going to forgive them, we bury the hatchet. We blindfold ourselves, we bury the hatchet, we never go back, never think about it. That's how we truly forgive, or we can make provision for sin. And that would be deliberate and willful sin. So you can see how subtle that could be, how persistent that could be, but how subtle it could be, that willful sin. That is why we need to be continually on guard for that. Ephesians 5.18 says, be filled with the Holy Spirit, be filled with the Spirit, so we can be enabled to fight against that tendency uh, to want to willfully sin or give in to that willful sin. For if we sin willfully as a Christian, how could this look again? Verse 26 it means to intentionally choose to do something we know to be outside of God's will. Whether that be outside his already revealed will or, or not. But it'd be, it, could be, it could look something like this. I choose not to go to church, even though I know I'm supposed to. That's God's revealed will for every, every Christian to not just to assimilate ourselves together. So choosing not to attend church would be a deliberate, willful sin. You're deliberately choosing, I'm not going to go to church. That's just how it could look. 
or if we're not supporting our church, uh, whether it be financially or in our time, talent, treasure, just not supporting our church, not serving in our church when there's opportunities to serve, choosing not to, not reading our Bible and having our personal devotions, just choosing not to. I just don't feel like it today. I know I'm supposed to. I know I'm supposed to be in my Bible. I know I'm supposed to be praying. I just don't feel like it today. I'd rather do something else. You're willfully sinning by not reading your Bible, by not praying. Or it could be to choose to go against God's will in another area, uh, such as a moral area or another clear teaching uh, for the Bible of our conduct or our lifestyle. There's many different ways for Christians to sin willfully and deliberately, and not all of them are scandalous in appearance. And there could be, we could be doing it on a consistent basis, and no one around us, around us even realizes we are. That's how sneaky this could be. It's not always the big scandalous moral sin. It could be something a whole lot more sneakier than that in our life that we're sitting deliberately or willfully. So we need to be on guard for that. For if we sin willfully means to act contrary to the will and law of God. To sin willfully asserts our own agenda over God's loving plan. To sin willfully always results in loss of rewards for believers. Now the Christian life is about direction, not perfection. We're going to have that in our life. We're, we're gonna we're gonna mess up. Or we're we're gonna choose to mess up, not accidentally mess up. We're gonna choose to mess up. Let me be careful how I say that. We're not gonna stumble into it. We're gonna choose to do it. So the Christian life is about direction, not perfection. For if we sin willfully, that's a present tense of that phrase. In the case, this is their lifestyle, their habitual practice, a continual state of willful, deliberate sinning. If we sin willfully. Believers still commit sins. I, I do it all, all every day. We, we all sin. Uh, as noted before, sadly, even we do sometimes deliberately sin. But once we are born again by the Holy Spirit, we become new creatures in Christ or new creations in Christ. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new, 2 Corinthians 5.17. So it should not be our lifestyle. It should not be the consistent part of a Christian to sin Willfully. 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says, Examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. If habitual, deliberate, and willful sin is a consistent part of a professing believer's life, then such a person should examine yourself whether you be in the faith. Do that personal assessment, personal examination. Is there tangible evidence that I'm a true possessor of eternal life and not just a professor? Uh, Jesus gave a stern, even frightening warning in Matthew chapter 7 that many would profess knowing him, but their life would indicate otherwise. Matthew 7, 21 and 23, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, or not everyone that made that profession of faith shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. We have prophesied the name. Preachers. Lord, Lord. And done many wonderful works. Lay people. Did so many great works. I never knew you. You're a professor, not a possessor. 
That's frightening. We have to be sure we are safe. We have to be sure we're on the way down. We are enabled by the indwelling Holy Spirit to consistently, we can examine our life, the history of our life, if, we, if our, if our just looking at our life by, by the long-term perspective, is if it, the history of our life is consistently to do the will of God, that's what we're looking for. We're not looking for perfection. We're, we're not looking for that. We're looking for direction. Uh, if you were to somehow chart your life and your consistency in doing the will of God, you would be able to see that the direction, the overall arch of your life is to do the will of God or to want to do the will of God, and it's not to live in continual, deliberate, willful sin. Like I said, we, we, we all mature at different levels. We're all going to have these different struggles. But the overall direction of our life is to do the will of God and not to deliberately, willfully sin continually over and over again. I mean, I think we have a good idea or at least an indication that we are truly saved. But if we're deliberately, willfully sinning over and over again, we need to examine ourselves. Examine yourselves when you be in the faith. There's also one more thing. Before we move on from this passage of Matthew 7, he says, I never knew you. These are not people who were one-time Christians and somehow lost their salvation. These were people who were professing Christians and never really possessed eternal salvation. They weren't people that lost it. They are people that never had it. It's also very important that we do not confuse what the writer of Hebrews is saying and not saying. He is not teaching sinless perfection, but he is teaching about the general direction of our life. So why does a Christian not practice deliberate sin as a consistent direction of their life? Simply put, they cannot habitually, willfully, deliberately, continually sin because God's holy seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he, referring to a Christian, is born of God, 1 John 3, 9. We cannot habitually sin. If, if, it, if that is our, explains our lifestyle, the general direction of life, habitually sinning, Examine yourselves, like Paul told us to. Examine yourselves. This does not mean we cannot backslide for a while. Hopefully that doesn't happen, but it can happen. We can backslide for a while. Like I mentioned earlier, if you're going to chart the general direction of your life, this deliberate, willful, continual living in sin would not be the general direction your life is taking. Hebrews 10, 26 again, For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. Like again, hopefully not, but I believe, if we're honest, we could all say we've all backslidden every now and then in our life. Um, the general direction of life, moving for the Lord, and all of a sudden, we're still looking at the Lord, but we're kind of backsliding just a little bit. I think that happens to all of us from time to time. Hopefully it's a short season, but I think it happens to all of us. That's we're not talking about perfection general direction of our life. Now, let's look at the non-Christian and sin. Let's look at falling away in apostasy. Look at verse 26 to 27 again. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. Uh, the writer of Hebrews has given similar warning time and time again in the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 2, 1 to 3, he even gave a warning where it described as, as letting truth slip away. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 3, 7 8, he talked about hardening the heart against the Holy Spirit. In Hebrews 6, 4 to 6, he described it as falling away and crucifying the Son of God. 
And, and we haven't got there yet, but in Hebrews chapter 12, he describes it as a refusal to hear and heed God's warning from heaven. So falling away or that, that uh, apostasy or manifestation of something like that is described in many different ways. But clearly the writer of Hebrews viewed apostasy and deliberate willful sin as a very real and serious possibility for his Jewish audience and for the greater future Christian audience that would read this letter, letter and study it later on. Clearly, the writer of Hebrews was very concerned with apostasy, very concerned with willful sin, and sought to warn these Hebrew believers and us about that possibility. So what is apostasy exactly? Uh, John gives us a descriptive definition of apostasy in 1 John 2.19. Apostle John wrote, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us, but they went out, that it might be made manifest that they were not all of us. That's a good definition of apostasy. Another writer wrote this, the deliberate rejection of Christ and his sacrifice for one's sins after one fully understands its significance and may even have made profession of faith therein is without remedy. This is the only means God has provided. There is nothing more that can be said or done to save such a person. That person already knows and understands it all and has rejected it. Such a person, regardless of outward appearances, had never truly committed his faith and life to Christ. In the first place, this verse does not in context apply to other sins of a true Christian. Ready for those is repentance and confession for the blood of Christ is already paid for them. I came across another... As I studied this, I started just getting on Google and started looking up apostasy or things like that. And I came across this one. Uh, it was from a website. Uh, yeah, the website, it's, I think it's Got Questions. I don't necessarily like everything on the website, but this gave me a good example. Uh, he said uh, he, they wrote, or this was a study they're, they're, they're citing. Uh, I got this quote. It said, a recent example of this process is a 2010 study. This is very disturbing. I read this and I, it was very disturbing. Uh, it was a 2010 study done by a prominent atheist, Daniel Dennett, and Linda Lascola called Preachers Who Are Not Believers. A whole study done on preachers who are not believers. Uh, done by atheists. Uh, Dennett and Lascola's work chronicles five different preachers who, over time, were presented with and accepted heretical teachings about Christianity and now have completely fallen away from the faith and are either pantheists or clandestine atheists. One of the most disturbing truths highlighted in the study is that these preachers maintain their position as pastors of Christian churches, with their congregations being unaware of their leader's true spiritual state. Atheist pastors just acting apart. Acting apart. That's apostasy. When I read that, it gave me chills the first time I read it. And I'm sure there's more than just those five. A.W. Tozer said this So skilled is error at imitating truth that the two are constantly being mistaken for each other. It takes a sharp eye these days to know which brother is Cain and which is Abel. A lot of truth in that. Yeah. Now here is possibly the clearest and most concise scriptural definition of apostasy, receiving knowledge of the truth, that is the gospel of willfully remaining in sin. An apostate has seen and heard the truth, he knows it all, 
uh, probably better than a lot of us, but he rejects it willfully. Costly has two major characteristics, knowledge of the truth of the gospel and willful rejection of that truth. Now, every apostate is an unbeliever, but not every unbeliever is an apostate. Many people have never had the opportunity to hear the gospel, even in part. They are assembled. Of course, they, they don't believe in Christ, but that doesn't mean they're an apostate. They just never heard the gospel. So that brings us to verse 27 now, God's future judgment. But a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. Now to speak about God's terrifying future judgment is not pleasant, but it is necessary since the Bible clearly teaches that it will happen. As a doctor with great practical ramifications, it's a subject that Jesus spoke more of than heaven. So we ought to speak on this subject. We ought to teach it. We ought to preach it. Uh, Spurgeon, speaking of hell, said, Think lightly of hell, and you will think lightly of the cross. Think little of suffering of lost souls, and you will soon think little of the Savior who delivers you from them. You can turn with me in your Bible to 2 Thessalonians. Uh, we'll look at chapter 1, verses 7 to 9. 1, verses 7. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 to 9. And God's word says, And to you who are troubled, rest with us. And the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. The Lord is coming in judgment. Christ himself, again, said more about hell than anyone else did. He said more about hell than they did heaven. Hell is an awful reality, and I'm not going to just speculate about it. I'm just quoting scripture. I'm just going to put our two passages together from 2 Thessalonians and Hebrews chapter 10 and just kind of read them together. But a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Now, the doctrine of hell is ridiculed today. It's made fun of. Belief in hell is made fun of. People make light of hell. Some people you talk to may make statements like this. It hurts me to say this, but I've heard this. I want to go to hell because I'm going to party with my friends. You'll, you'll hear that. You'll hear that. But statements like that show their lack of knowledge about the subject. If they really knew what they were talking about, they wouldn't make statements like that. If they really knew. Statements like that should sadden us. Uh, should evoke great compassion on our part. Something like that should hurt our hearts to hear. Um, people who say things like that are, are just so cavalier about eternity and hell show us how far our society has fallen away from God, fallen away from his word, and how much they need us and other Christians to get busy witnessing to them, even though they may reject it. Get busy handing out gospel tracts, even though they may toss it on the ground. We've got to get busy inviting them to church. The world needs Christians to get busy fulfilling the Great Commission. Hell is real. Hell is real. Hell is real. Real people go to a real hell. 
That faction upset lovers. That faction disturb us. That faction should motivate us. I think we all can think of someone we love right now in our family or associate. Hell is real. The real people go to hell. That's tough to think about. It's tough to bring a message of. That's where the Lord has us this morning in our study of Hebrews. Christ will return to earth someday. First, he will take his own out of the earth, and then his coming will be a terror to the wicked. It will be a judgment upon those who know not God and that obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Thessalonians 1 8. At one point in time, we were all hellbound sinners going straight to hell. But He has delivered you, He has delivered us. We are saved. That was the whole purpose of the coming of our Savior. He came to redeem us, He came to pay sin's penalty for us. He came to, to die on the cross for us. He, he was crucified. He died. He was buried. He rose again the third day so we can believe in that, so we can have faith in what he's done for us, so we can, too, have the opportunity to go to heaven. He came to deliver us from hell. Now, apostates and all the unsaved will face a fiery judgment in hell. That is a reality. That is a fact. That should concern us. That should get us busy getting out the gospel message. The judgment of the lost is coming. I pray no one wants to stay lost, but judgment is coming. I'm just telling the facts right now. If you are not saved, you will face a fiery judgment. A certain fearful looking for a judgment and fiery indignation. Hebrews 10 27. It's coming. Is a judgment of flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, that obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction in the presence of the Lord, from the glorious power. Remember, beginning, little kids, busy road, big trucks coming, stern warning. You give that stern warning because you want to save them from that potential destruction. I want to save them from getting hurt. I want to save them from that death, that potential destruction. The Bible doesn't really mince words about hell. Neither did Jesus. Because he wants to save sinners from that potential destruction. The Bible teaches loss will continue to exist forever in a lake of fire. People need the Lord. People need to be saved. Even those that mock the existence of hell, that mock us, that mistreat us, that do all sorts of things that are contrary to the teaching of the Bible. People need the Lord. People need to get saved. Or they will live for all eternity in hell and fiery illumination and flaming fire and taking vengeance on them. Alright, so let's let's wrap this message up. Look verses Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26-27 again. For if we sin willfully, after that we receive the knowledge of the truth. There remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for a judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. 
We must guard against that willful sin in our life. We must do a self-check, that self-examination, a thoroughly honest one. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal uh, any sin in our life that's willful, deliberate, continual sin, or any sin at all. Let's get that confessed and get right with the Lord. We must repent of that sin. Let's turn from that sin and live for the Lord in humble submission to His will. Not our will. To his direction, not our direction, not our wants, to, to his leading, not our desires. We must not seek to please self, but we must seek to please the Lord. If you have willful, deliberate sin in your life, and if you honestly look back, you can see a, a long-term direction of, of willful and deliberate sin in your life. You need to do, as the Apostle Peter instructed us, make your calling and election sure, Second Peter 1.10. And if you're not sure that you truly possess eternal salvation, make sure today. If you may be a professor and not a possessor, seek the Lord today for that salvation. If you feel that hell may be in your eternity, accept the gift of salvation today from the Lord Jesus Christ. He came, he lived that perfect sinless life. He, he died on Calvary's tree. He was buried and he rose again the third day. We need to have faith in that for our salvation. For if you're a mere professors and not possessors, writer Hebrews warns us in verse 27 that we are facing a certain fearful looking for judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour. And the Apostle Paul echoed that thought in 2 Thessalonians 1 8 9. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord, from the glory of his power. I'm going to close out with a couple of verses from Peter. He wrote 2 Peter 1, 10 to 11. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you have a decision to make, the Holy Spirit is, is tapping at your heart, tugging at your heart. Let's make that decision this morning. Let's make sure we're, we're going to heaven. If you're unsure where we spend eternity, let's get that settled.